Praise the Lord. It is so good to see all of your smiling faces. I'm so glad that people have been getting over the sickness. This is that time of year that we're going to get stuff, colds, flu, whatever. But God is good through all of it. I am thankful that we do have live streaming and it's working that when you aren't able to be here, you're still able to join us. We don't see you, but you are here with us when you're online. We thank those of you that are joining us online today. Hallelujah. Um, With the new year, we do have another sign-up for cleaning the church. If you want to have a blessing, get involved. There's so many ways to get involved, and cleaning the church is an awesome way to get involved. This is God's house. We need to take care of it. We need to make it welcoming and presentable. And that is how we all do our part with cleaning the church. So if you can just stop by the bulletin board after church and pick a month that you would be willing to come in and take care of the house of God. Hallelujah. I believe that's all of the announcements. All right. Hallelujah. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, And the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I am happy all the day. Was it for crimes that I have done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, And the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I am happy all the day. Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when Christ the mighty maker died for man the creature's sin at the cross at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away It was there by faith I received my sight, but now I am happy all the day. But drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of 
give myself away. Tis all that I can do. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the hallelujah. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we are so thankful for your salvation. Lord, so thankful for the truth. So thankful, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. You paid a price that I could never pay, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Hallelujah. It's at the cross that we found find salvation. It's at the cross we find healing. At the cross we have deliverance. At the cross we have victory. We don't just come to the cross once to be saved. We come to the cross every day so we can have freedom. We can have victory. We can have healing. You can be come to the cross today. Find an altar after church, wherever. It's at the cross that you're going to find the answers. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I love that song. There is so much depth in that because it is the cross. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I'm all expecting me, and that's one thing I know. My Savior pardoned me, and now I onward go. I know he'll take me through, though I am weak and poor, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. 
I have a loving mother up in glory land. I don't expect to stop until I shake her hand. She's waiting now for me in heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Just open glory land, we'll live eternally. The saints on every hand are shouting victory. Their songs of sweetest praise drift back from heaven's shore. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Troubles are lit up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord, I look forward to heaven. Lord, I look forward to being face-to-face -face with you up in glory land. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. 
Thank you, Jesus. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. King of all days, oh so highly exalted, glorious in heaven above. Humbly you came to the earth you created, all for love's sake became poor. So here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God, 
You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. So here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. Hallelujah. Praise God. Our Lord and Savior is worthy of our worship and praise this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. We give glory and honor unto you, my Lord Jesus Christ. We take this time this morning to give proper homage, worship and praise, glory and honor unto the Most High today. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are ever and altogether worthy to receive all worship and all praise. All glory, all honor. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We do, Lord, and we magnify you. We heap glory and honor unto you, most holy God. You are the highest. You are the greatest. Hallelujah, Jesus. There is no one higher. There is no one greater than you are. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are altogether worthy, thou most high God, to receive worship from me, to receive praise. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Minister to your people here this morning, I pray, according to our needs, according to your perfect will. Let your great name be exalted. Let it be magnified. Let it be worshipped and glorified here in our midst today. You are, so, you are so beautiful. You are so wonderful, O oh God. Hallelujah, Jesus. We delight ourselves in the Lord our God this morning. We delight ourselves in the God of our salvation today. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let your name be magnified in our midst here today. Let it be exalted in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Put in us a heart to worship. Put in us a heart to praise. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Amen. I, uh, I very much appreciate the old hymns. And one of the reasons for that is they, they don't seem to mince words. They don't seem to pull punches. Uh, they talk about the, the bloody cross of Calvary. They talk about the cost of sin. They talk about our great hope. An everlasting life with Jesus Christ. It is not as vogue as it used to be to preach on a bloody cross. To preach the cross of Calvary. It's a messy, bloody stump of a situation. It's not at all pretty. It's not at all refined. 
It's not very sophisticated. But it is our salvation. Praise God. I am so thankful for the cross of Calvary. Because without that, we would be utterly without hope. Amen. Thank you for your response to the presence of God this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll read the first five verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. The Bible says this, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen. Preach for the remainder of our time here this morning on this topic. Gentlemen, this is a football. Gentlemen, this is a football. Let's pray one more time and ask the Lord to bless the remainder of our service today. Jesus, you're an awesome God. I'm so thankful for your powerful, wonderful presence here today. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy and your grace and your long-suffering patience to usward. Thank you, Jesus, for your daily provision, for all that you do for us. I ask, O oh God, one more time that you would bless the remainder of your service, that you would help us, Lord Jesus, to hear the word of God and submit ourselves unto it, that your perfect will would be manifest and accomplished here today. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. This is an excerpt from a, an article called Deliberate Practice Minimalism by James Clear. He starts like this. It was July of 1961 and the 38 members of the Green Bay Packers football team were, <laughs> were gathered together <laughs> for the first day of training camp. Amen. The previous season had ended with a heartbreaking. <laughs> Brother Bob said amen. He loves the Green Bay Packers. The previous season had ended with a heartbreaking defeat when the Packers squandered a lead late in the fourth quarter and lost the NFL championship to the Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> the Green Bay players had been thinking about this brutal loss for the entire... I didn't think this would be so... Provocative. <laughs> the Green Bay players had been thinking about this brutal loss for the entire offseason, and now finally training camp had arrived, and it was time to get to work. The players were eager to advance their game to the next level and start working on the details that would help them with the championship. Their coach, Vince Lombardi, had a different idea. 
In his best-selling book, When Pride Still Mattered, A Life of Vince Lombardi, author David Moranis explains what happened when Lombardi walked into training camp in the summer of 1961, and he quotes, He took nothing for granted. He began a tradition of starting from scratch, assuming that the players were blank slates who carried over no knowledge from the year before. He began with the most elemental statement of all. Gentlemen, he said, holding a pigskin in his right hand, this is a football. Getting back to basics. Lombardi was coaching a group of three dozen professional athletes who just months prior had come within minutes of winning the biggest prize their sport could offer. And yet, he started from the very beginning. Lombardi's methodical approach, coverage of the fundamentals continued throughout training camp. Each player reviewed how to block and tackle. They opened up the playbook and started from page one. At some point, Max McGee, the Packers' Pro Bowl wide receiver, joked, uh, Coach, could you slow down a little? You're going too fast for us. Lombardi reportedly cracked a smile but continued his obsession with the basics all the, to- all the same. His team would become the best in the league at the tasks everyone else took for granted. Six months later, the Green Bay Packers beat the New York Giants 37-0 to win the NFL championship. The 1961 season was the beginning of Vince Lombardi's reign as one of the greatest football coaches of all time. He would never lose in the playoffs again. In total, Lombardi won five NFL championships in a span of seven years, including three in a row. He never coached a team with a losing record. This pattern of focusing on the basics has become a hallmark of many successful coaches. For example, basketball legends John Wooden and Phil Jackson were known for having a similar obsession with the fundamentals. Wooden even went so far as to teach his players how to put on their socks and tie their shoes. Sounds like basic training. However, it is not just football and basketball where the strategy is useful. Throughout our lives, a focus on the fundamentals is what determines our results. It is so easy to overestimate the importance of one critical event or one, quote, big break, unquote, while simultaneously forgetting about the hidden power that small choices, daily habits, and repeated actions can have on our lives. Without the fundamentals, the details are useless. With the fundamentals, tiny gains can add up to something very significant. Amen. Back to the basics. Gentlemen, this is a football. I'm quite certain the players under Vince Lombardi knew that already, that that was indeed a football. But he was making a point, wasn't he? An emphasis on the fundamentals, an emphasis on the basics, the boring, stayed, day-to-day stuff. Not really exciting, not really uh, awe-inspiring in any sense of the word. Just drudgery. Just daily get up and do this. Do it again tomorrow. Do it again next week. Do it again next month. Every day, every day, every day, every day. Yes, I did it again. And I'm going to do it again tomorrow. Nothing exciting about it. Nothing so as exciting as that one brief moment in, in history where everything just seems to come together and the play happens and, and for one brief moment, Everything coalesces, and you're the star of the show. And everything just kind of, the universe just kind of hands you on a silver platter. That thing that you've been looking for. Did the universe hand you anything? I say no. It didn't. But rather that is the culmination of weeks and months and years 
of perfecting the basics. In the modern era, we have more time-saving devices than any, any time in history. And yet we have less time available than ever before. That's been mentioned ad nauseum, but it's true. We have more time-saving devices and less time to spend than ever before in history. <clears throat> there is never enough time to do anything that we want, it seems. We're always struggling. But maybe if I could just get enough of these time-saving devices, maybe then I'll have enough time to spare. Maybe I'll end up with a little bit more discretionary time. That's simply not true. It's not true at all. Why don't I instead learn to manage the time I'm given? Discipline myself to spend it wisely. We all have the same hours in a day. We all have the same uh, days of the week. Everybody has the same allotment of time. Some know how to manage it, and others squander it away. That's not the fault of either person. That's not the fault of the disciplined person that he seems to be able to get more done. It is the fault of the less disciplined person that he can't seem to get anything done. One solution is external. If I can just get enough time-saving devices. The other is internal. If I can discipline myself and learn how to properly manage the time I'm given. One solution actually complicates matters. After so many time-saving devices, you won't have time to use them all. The other simplifies and streamlines everything. Get rid of all that external junk. Let's focus on me. Let's focus on what I can do to spend this time more wisely. One solution involves placing the blame on something else, somewhere over here. I don't have enough time-saving devices. Things happen. Things, interruptions always seem to, to happen when I'm in the middle of something, and I can't get anything done. The other places the blame solely at my feet. This is my responsibility. This is my problem. It's my fault if I don't learn how to do this. In Christianity, we do the same thing. We like to overly complicate our religion. And I notice this from time to time, even in my own preaching. Let's focus on the gifts of the Spirit. No, 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 no. Let's focus on the fruit of the Spirit. No, no. Let's focus on prayer and fasting. No, let's focus on soul winning. No, no, no. Let's focus on holiness. Well, we can't focus on everything. We've got to focus on something. And all these are important. They are important. Absolutely they're important. We need the gifts of the Spirit. We need to demonstrate fruit of the Spirit. We need to pray and fast. We need to win souls and disciple people. We need a spirit of inward holiness. We need all of these things, but... We can't focus on all of them at the same time, can we? How many messages have you heard on how to have revival? I've heard a few. I've read some books. And everybody has a different answer at the time. If you would just do this, oh, Pastor, you'd have revival. If you would just, uh, if you would just preach on this, you'd have revival. 
if your people would get a hold of this concept, you'd have revival, etc., etc., etc. There's like 893 steps to, to revival if we put them all together. I don't know if we can do all of those things in the time we have left. <coughs> but it's God's will that we have revival. I think it's his plan that we have revival. But maybe we're focused on the wrong thing. Maybe we're focused on externals when we should be focused on something else. Anybody ever hear of T.F. Tenney? Yeah, a lot of you have. One thing he likes to say is the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. <coughs> kind of a pithy, catchy statement. Fun to say. But it's very true. Okay, so what is the main thing? Is it revival? Is it holiness? Is it gifts of the Spirit? Is it prayer and fasting? What's the main thing? Jesus. That's right. That's right. Jesus Christ is the main thing. Boiled down at its core when you strip everything else away. Christianity is fundamentally a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's it. That's really all it boils down to. If we can just focus on that, a relationship with Jesus Christ, forget about all of that other Well, don't forget about it, but just put it, on, put it over here for a little while. And get Jesus front and center. Get Him front and center. Keep your eyes on Him. Keep your heart focused on Him. Keep your ears attentive to His voice. Follow after Him wherever He's leading and I promise you, everything else will fall into place. All of this stuff will take care of itself. We don't have to focus on revival. We don't have to focus on holiness or soul winning or evangelism or prayer and fasting or any of that. We don't have to focus on it. We focus on Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And everything else comes by default. When we focus on Him, everything else comes into focus as well. And I know it's a bit underwhelming. It's very simplistic. And it requires daily discipline. Daily discipline to pursue after Him every day. To find a place of prayer every day. A place of relationship. Can we call it that? A place of relationship where I can commune with Jesus Christ and He with me. Every day, I'm going to read the Word of God every day and let Him speak to me. Let Him communicate with me. Let that wash over me every day. It's not exciting. It's not as exciting as a fiery sermon, red-hot altar call, all those are exciting. A great worship service. We all love those. I do. But those don't come except people have a relationship with Jesus Christ in the first place. Do you know why churches have red-hot altar calls? Do you know why they have red-hot worship services? It isn't just a fluke incident. 
It's because people with a relationship are putting into the service. They've come and they've prayed and they've fasted. And they're doing everything they can not to get something out of it, but to put something into it. Now, there there will be people in here that they just can't or they won't. But you and I here today, we can, we must put into this. Put into the relationship we have with Jesus Christ. When we focus on that, everything else happens. Everything else happens. And if it doesn't happen, well, either it's not time or or God just doesn't want that right now. In any case, we know it's from God. It's not me. It's not you. I know people, they get their mind made up about something, about the will of God. And you talk with them for a solid half a minute, and you know for a fact this is not the will of God. <clears throat> but they're convinced it is. I just I don't know when God's going to answer my prayers. I don't know when He's going to tell me yes to this thing. I'm just going to keep believing. I'm going to pray and fast. Okay, pray and fast. Maybe I'm off. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm not praying and fasting for him. I think Brother DeMuth said this. I'm not asking Jesus to bless my ideas of right and wrong, to bless what I want to do. I'm asking him, what's your plan, and how do I get to be a part of that? How do I fall in line with what you're doing? Where are you going? That's where I want to be. That's what I want to be doing. If we look at 2 Kings chapter 5, we see the account of a, a man by the name of Naaman. He was a captain of the host of the king of Syria, and he was a leper through and through. This account begins with verse 1. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go, dude, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. Now in these five verses we see a few things. We see that Naaman hears, There's a solution to my problem in Israel. There's a solution. I don't know if it's going to work. We have no indication of what he thought of the solution, but he was willing to go and try. So he he heads out with all of this money and these changes of raiment. He brings all of this silver and gold ready to pay for services rendered. What I'm reading into this is that Naaman is, is not a man who wants to be a debtor to anyone. Man or God. 
He's going to pay for everything he receives from God. He'll pay for his mercy. Now this can be good and it can be bad. David had the same attitude. I'll not offer anything unto the Lord that cost me nothing. That's good. But when we get the idea that forgot my tablet so I'm using this thing and it's uh I haven't used it in a while so there's a lot of updates and now the battery's just about dead so if I go to my phone you'll know why amen so uh this I think in Naaman is is something he can control something he can he can take charge of and 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 uh, he's in control of this. He's got this. I'm paying for a service. The verses go on in chapter 6. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter has come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeks a quarrel against me. The king of Israel, for whatever reason, is starting to think, I'm going to have to heal Naaman, or I'm going to be in deep trouble here. I can't heal Naaman. There it goes. I can't heal him. So he's like, this is my responsibility now. I've got to do this. And I can't do it. He didn't once think of God. He didn't once think that there is a solution elsewhere. He couldn't. And he definitely didn't. So in any case, The king is upset. He's upset because he sees this is coming against him. I have no power over this. I have no authority over this. There's nothing I can do here, but I'm going to be expected to. So when I fail, he's going to come at me. And that's why he's doing this. To have occasion against me. Well, the prophet heard it. And issues him a little bit of a rebuke. And I'm almost there. Verse 8. And it was so when Elisha the man of God had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Okay, the prophet understood the situation perfectly. How is the prophet able to understand the situation? Because he's smarter than the king, right? He's smarter. He's got more connections. He heard something somewhere that this was, this was the deal. Of course not. He heard from God. He had a relationship with God. 
And God told him what the situation was. He rebukes the king for being distracted by the situation and not seeking the answer in God. The verses continue. Verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and went away, and said, Behold, I thought, he will surely come out to me, and stand, and call on the name of the Lord his God, and strike his hand over the place, and recover the leper. Are not Abna and Farfar, Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. As kind of a side note, I've always found it interesting that Elisha never went out to him personally. He sent a messenger. I don't know what he meant by that. I don't know if he meant anything by that. But I'd like to just interject the possibility that in the grand scheme of things, Naaman's problem just wasn't all that big. It just wasn't that great a thing to warrant all this attention. God's got the answer. Go do it. What's the big deal? Well, Naaman took it a little differently. He didn't appreciate that slight, and he didn't appreciate Elijah's proposed solution. I thought Elijah would, Elisha would come out. I thought he'd meet me personally. I'm a big man. I'm worthy of respect. Send a messenger out to me. In diplomatic circles, that's kind of a faux pas. That's, that's not really a good thing to do. I guess it's a good thing Elisha's not a diplomat or a politician, huh? I thought God would just heal me here. Just pronounce the word and I'd be healed. Why do we got to go do all this stuff? And in Jordan. Gugh. Jordan's yuck. It's disgusting. He left in a rage. Left the answer just sitting there. The answer to his problem of leprosy. He would rather be a leper the rest of his life than go dip in the River Jordan. He'd rather stay a leper than worry and worry about this supposed slight. Elisha didn't come out and greet me in person. How many times have we done this? When the solution was right there. The answer to our problem was staring us in the face. God told us. The preacher preached it. We read it in his word. The answer is right there and you know it's there. But you don't like the answer. This can't be the answer. I'll wait for the answer. Unlike the guy in the flood sitting on top of the house. I think you've all heard this. Praying that God would save him. Someone comes up in a boat. 
No, 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 that's all right. God's going to save me. You both keep passing by. No, 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 God's going to save me. Finally, he drowns. Goes up to heaven. Why didn't you save me? Well, I tried multiple times to save you, but you kept saying no. I kept sending people. You kept telling them no. Kind of a humorous account, but we do that very thing. Especially when we don't like the answer that God is giving us. Sometimes the answer is no. I'm not going to let you do that. I'm not going to let you go here. I'm not going to release you right now. No is hard. Maybe we didn't like the messenger that delivered the answer to us. You know, we can learn something from just about anybody, even if it's what not to do. <coughs> when the alcoholic comes and preaches at you that you ought not drink, drinking is bad. You can look at him and say, well, you stinking hypocrite. Eureka booze right now. Or you can say, yeah, that's good advice. I'm seeing the end result of that. I think I'll do what you say. We don't choose the answer. We don't choose how the answer comes. When we bring something to God, He is the answer. And He will send you the answer in His time. When it comes. Receive it. Do it. Even when you don't like it, and even when you don't like the messenger it came through. Beggars can't be choosers. In our hour of need, the best solution is the one prepared for us by Jesus Christ. Whatever answer he gives you, that's the best possible answer you could ever get. Period. I don't care how it sounds. I don't care how you're receiving it at the moment. It is the best answer for you. When he tells you no, it's for a reason. It's not because he hates you and he's holding you back. It's because it's not time yet. Or maybe that just isn't for you, period. In any case, it's for your protection. When he does say yes, you know it's good to go. The way is clear. The doors are going to open. This is the will of God. And you have that assurance moving forward. Starting with verse 13. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. In the midst of his arrogance and pride, his servants came alongside of him and spoke wisdom. Basically telling him this. If the prophet would have told you to conquer a country, take over a nation, do some difficult thing, You'd have just went out and done it to be cured of your leprosy. 
This is a small thing. Why won't you do this simple thing? And I think sometimes we get hung up on that. The answer is so easy. It's so simple. God must not understand how difficult this is for me. God must not understand how desperate I am right now. What a big deal this is that I'm going through right now. To just, me, 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 me. Just do this and you, it's good. It's almost as if he's, he's poo-pooing me away. He doesn't know what I'm going through. He doesn't understand what a big deal this is. That's not true at all. That is absolutely not true. Just because the answer is simple doesn't mean he thinks any more or less of the situation you're going through. His simple answer isn't a reflection of his thoughts on what you're going through. It's just that things are simple to Jesus. That's all that is. Do you want the answer or not? Do you want the solution to the problem or not? People are really weird sometimes. Very strange in their reactions. I'm a people too. My reactions are crazy sometimes. I'll have an answer staring me in the face, but I don't want it. I'd rather endure for a while longer and get the answer I want. Why is that? What craziness is... How broken does someone have to be to be in a place like that? That's insane, right? But we're all like that. We're all like that. I don't know why that is. Sin nature, something... Things in Christianity, we try to complicate things. We try to make things more complex. Maybe it's more sophisticated. I don't know. Maybe it's uh, something more palatable in the 21st century to make them a little, you know, as things get more complicated, they also get a little bit more uh, watered down. I've heard this example given before. You know, at World War I, it used to be shell shock. That was the condition. Shell shock. Very descriptive. It's an apt description. You get shelled with artillery for hours and hours, and you start to go a little crazy. You start to get paranoid. You start to have uh, delusions. All of these things that we call today post-traumatic stress disorder. <coughs> well, in World War II, it became battle fatigue. A little bit nicer of a term. Not quite as descriptive. Today, of course, it's post-traumatic stress disorder. Sounds like the ingredients on the Big Mac. (coughs) I don't know if if a lot of people could explain to me exactly what that means. Post-traumatic stress disorder. I mean, they apply it to all kinds of places now, not just shell shock. But you see what I'm saying? 
shell shock, post-traumatic stress disorder. There's a difference. There's, there's emotional oomph in this one. There's meaning. It does something to you when you hear that. Post-traumatic stress disorder, that's like antiseptic. It really doesn't, it describes it. Kind of like a uh, kingdom phylum class order genus species. It'd be a genus and species. Yeah, that's the, the name, but Philium phylata, whatever. I'm not into that. <coughs> Homo sapien sapien. Or man. <laughs> Mankind. But the more complex we try to make something, it seems to lose something in the process. And I fear in Christianity we can do the same thing. When we overly complicate things, Because our solutions are complicated. Our our situations are complicated. So the solutions then are complicated. We need to focus on A, B, C, and D. Five easy steps to to overcoming depression, uh, etc., etc. And, (laughs) yes. But when we focus on the specifics, we lose something. We lose the power of Jesus Christ to to take care of this for us. He's the answer. There's one easy step. Give it to Jesus. Now, when I tell people that, and even when I say it, I get in my mind, they're going to think that I'm just not taking this seriously. They're going to think that I'm just spouting a a non-answer here. Jesus is always the answer, so just, yeah, give it to Jesus. But it really is that simple. It really is that effective and that powerful an answer. He is the answer. And when we give it to him, when we stay focused on him, to receive of him the answer, it doesn't matter what we're going through. Now, I'm not opposed to any other of these solutions as long as you stay focused on Jesus. Go to the doctor. Absolutely. Go to a a Christian counselor. Of course. But stay focused on Jesus. Maybe he'll use that approach to give you an answer. I don't know. But it's going to come from him. Not the counselor, not the doctor. It'll come from Jesus Christ. That's where the answer comes. And that's why we bring it to him in the first place. Always to him. And we're trusting in him to receive it. If it doesn't come right away, I stay trusting in him until I do. Because the Word of God says that the answer is coming. Maybe it's yes, maybe it's no, maybe it's wait. I don't know what the answer is going to be. That's why I'm asking. But it's going to come. And when it comes, it's the perfect answer. It's the perfect situation for me. Oh, I trust Him. Whenever He speaks into my life, It's so powerful. Whenever he gives an answer, a a word, a a promise, it is so powerful. And I hold on to that and I cling to that. It may be 
that I won't hear from him in a little while. That's possible. And that's okay. If that's Jesus, then that's okay. You know, I heard someone say one time that God will sometimes withdraw his presence from us for a season. Not because he hates us, not because of anything else other than, will you serve me for something other than the loaves and fishes? I love the presence of God. I love feeling what I feel. I do. I very much enjoy feeling the presence of God. But I don't always feel his presence. Not always. That's okay because that's not what I'm seeking. I will serve God even if I never feel him again. I don't believe that to be the case, but if that is the case, I'll still serve him. If he never answers another prayer of mine, I don't believe that. But if he never does, I'll still serve him. He's done so much for me already. He saved me. He delivered me from my addictions and my sins and my iniquities. He created in me a new heart. He created in me a new being. One worthy of his love. One worthy to stand before him in his presence. If he doesn't do anything else for me, he's done more than I ever could have hoped for. And I still have everlasting life with him to look forward to. The situation, therefore, doesn't matter. The problems, the circumstances, they're not really, they're important to us. Don't misunderstand me. They're not important as far as how the answer comes, who the answer comes from. The answer will always come from Jesus. And it will be the best thing for you. We tend to want to focus on details. Details of life, details of our job, details of relationships, details of our Christian walk, and lose sight of the fundamentals. Because surely something as basic as that can't be all that important. I've moved on from that. That's what I did as a new convert. Do I still need to do that stuff? Do I still need to read my Bible every day? Do I still need to pray? Fast? If I miss a service or two, I should be spiritual enough by now. No, you're not. Nobody's spiritual enough to disobey Scripture. And come out unscathed. We get ourselves into trouble by allowing ourselves to become distracted on these details and lose sight of the fundamentals. Lose sight of a relationship with Jesus Christ. The answer for these difficult times as it has been for all times, is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Our scripture text says exactly that. 
And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul asserts that we cannot move forward under our own wisdom or cleverness or strength. We can only move forward by relying in him, on Jesus Christ. That we trust only in Jesus. We certainly don't want to trust in our own talents or abilities. They will fail you. They will let you down. You will come to the end of your rope at some point. Maybe on purpose. Maybe God will bring you there on purpose so that you'll start to trust in him. Don't trust your doctor over Jesus Christ. Go to the doctor. Receive counsel from him. But don't trust him over the word of God. Don't trust anybody over the word of God. Don't trust the news outlets over Jesus Christ. Don't trust your politician over Jesus Christ. Don't even trust your pastor over Jesus Christ. Stand on God's word in every area of your life. That is the only thing. Jesus is the only person who will never fail you. He will never leave you. He will always do what's best for you. Can we trust in him? Can we trust in Jesus? Has he not demonstrated sufficiently that he is trustworthy? In conclusion, don't get confused because we are citizens of two kingdoms, of two worlds. We are. We're citizens of the natural. We're citizens of the spiritual. We have responsibilities in both. But our focus, as always, needs to remain on the spiritual, on the kingdom of God. That is our emphasis. That is our focus. When our focus remains on Jesus, everything else falls into place. We will have the fruit of the Spirit. We will operate in the gifts of the Spirit. We will have personal inward holiness. We will be men and women of prayer. We will have power with God through prayer. And we will most certainly have revival if we stay focused on Jesus and Him alone. Don't listen to the world and don't be afraid because of everything going on out there. The world would love nothing more than for us to be afraid, to live in fear. That is their modus operandi right now. Fear. Fear mongering. Fear peddling. Everything on the news, everything that comes across the radio is one more reason to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid. I'm not saying to be stupid. I'm not saying to go up there and start sucking down COVID. Okay? No. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying this. I'm not 
I'm not looking to die. I'm not. But if it finds me, I'm okay with that. At this point in time, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to meet Jesus. If it's my time, if God is calling me home, I'm not going to go stand in front of a bus. Well, if it's my time to go, he'll take me. And if not, I'll live. No, I'm still going to die. I will, whether it's my time or not. It's going to hit me and I'm going to go. So don't be thinking that. I'm going to take normal precautions. I'm going to exercise and eat right and all of those things. Okay. But I'm not going to find I'm not going to be looking for uh disease around every corner. I'm not going to be looking for Satan to pop his ugly head up every every time I turn the corner. I'm not going to live in fear about it. If it comes, it comes. But I got things I need to do. I got more important things to focus on. My life is not so precious to me that I'm going to purchase it at the cost of everything else. Life is precious. Jesus made it precious. But it's not so precious as to be purchased at the expense of everything else. We need to live for Jesus Christ. We need to live as Christ and to die as gain. We truly are in a strait betwixt two. Trust in Jesus Christ. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to live in fear. Fear is something that non-Christians experience. Fear is something that I experienced all the time before I came to the Lord. Jesus delivers us from fear. He gives us power and love and a sound mind. Fear is not of God. We don't have to be afraid. We have power. We have authority to live according to the Scriptures. To live according to the plan and will of God. And where we stay focused on Him, church, we keep Him front and center. No matter what happens, no matter what we're experiencing at the moment, whether a mountaintop or in the middle of the darkest valley, Jesus is right there in front of us, leading us, and we can trust in Him. Let's all stand. Amen. Let's all come to the front for just a few minutes, please.